0: welcome back to the IIF future leaders podcast i'm your host dylan riddle and once again joined by one of my future leader colleagues from the class of 2020 welcome to the show RT rd thank
1: you dylan thanks for
0: having me anytime i'm glad that you were able to join us so as with other episodes of the show we kind of like to start off with what you're doing currently and uh, i know that you have just taken over as head of the portfolio management department at ABN and amra and you're you're based in amsterdam but Maybe you could start us out by telling us a little bit about your current role and, and what you've been up to um, since taking over this position over the summer.
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks. I sort of recently, fairly recently joined this new role, stepped into a new role as head of portfolio management of the commercial bank, which is one of the business lines within ABN AMRO. And together with my management team, we are building a complete new department to uh, basically improve the credit portfolio steering of the commercial bank and to optimize the risks and rewards of the portfolio, and also to enable uh, the distribution agenda in terms of capital velocity and RWA uh, expenditure. So that's uh, basically where we're heading, and we're doing it in terms of price and balance sheet optimization, on the one hand, and also credit measurement and data and model management. Another perspective is also the the change which is relating to the lending area in terms of the new regulations which are heading towards us. So it's a complete new department and a new challenge and I'm really excited to work on that together with my colleagues.
0: And it must be especially challenging working through modeling and and everything else in a time where there isn't a lot of precedent or we aren't exactly sure what the next year is going to look like. How has COVID and working from home and uh, kind of everything that's been surrounding the pandemic impacted that work or or has it not really?
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think in general, working from home and having COVID has also uh, accelerated things as well in terms of having a a common goal as a bank uh, in order to help our clients uh, to survive the COVID crisis. That's more on sort of the origination part um, to help really our clients. And you see some sort of acceleration in 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 a bank to to work together as a bank which i think great and also working from home has been from my perspective a really um great leap to be frank because i've been working from home for 12 years already for one day a week that was quite old to be honest people were really saying you're not visible etc but now all of a sudden everyone is working from home and that really accelerated i think also the way we work together um uh, as a team, from a distance. So I think that also has a lot of benefits. I really do miss uh, the personal interaction, but I, I, I think that there's also really positive things from, from all of this. Uh, and in terms of um, uh, modeling and, and environment, we see a lot of uh, uh, add-ons and uh, increased uh, uh, strengthening uh, supervision from, uh, from the regulator. And, and that also puts a lot of pressure on uh, on the one hand, uh, helping our clients, but also making sure that we work together with our stakeholders to really have insights in our risks apart from our returns. So I think it's it's an exciting um, time uh, and things are moving. Uh, but I think as in general, uh, all stakeholders are really working together to make sure that we deliver as good as we can for our clients, but also for other stakeholders such as our uh, supervisors. But challenging times, yes.
0: No, absolutely. It's it's really interesting getting to talk to folks working in different businesses around the world because really no matter who we talk to the number one overall concern has been helping clients and and customers through the pandemic and whether that's you know in the US we have Basically, small business lending that is through a government program that's been supporting businesses, or I know elsewhere there are a bunch of different schemes to help businesses retain access to capital and keep markets flowing. And overall, it seems like the financial services industry has played a key role in keeping the the recovery going, and um, or at least... Uh, stopping from hitting bottom as far as it did in in the spring what does it kind of feel like in in europe right now and what's your kind of outlook over the next couple of months for the pandemic now that vaccines are rolling out do things feel much more optimistic for clients and for the business overall
1: we currently see in europe and especially in the netherlands we have a second lockdown so that has impacted clients uh, in in different vulnerable sectors such as retail Leisure, um, uh, because uh, the the lockdown has really impacted those sectors. But you also see uh, sectors which are actually so industry, for example, is really doing well. Um, so you see a different impact from COVID on different sectors. Um, uh, and I think it's it's even worse the second time because you know it, it it it's it's adding up. On the other hand, you also see a lot of state support, uh, which may result in really low uh, number of um, uh, insolvencies in a really really low so much lower than we usually see which means that there's a lot of liquidity in the market um, which could be which lead that, that that clients will survive which we do do really hope uh, but there can also be in the end sort of a knock- on effect uh, after the pandemic which we currently don't see and we're really trying to help our clients as much as we can and really monitor uh, our risks as, as good as possible. Uh, but you see that state aid uh, really has also an impact on, on reality, to say so. And um, uh, you don't know how they actually, how clients are really doing. So what you don't want is that clients who have been or should have been in restructuring for a while already are now being uh, uh, held up because of all these, uh, these mm-hmm. loans and, and liquidity in the market. But overall, I really think we are doing much better than I expected. No one expects this crisis to start with, sort of a, a ball, a crystal ball. But I think all working hard to make sure that we have our risks uh, uh, visible as much as we can, also help our clients on the other hand. So we keep on working towards that.
0: It's interesting. Um, there are two things that you kind of put on there that I won't make you go through again, but uh, that are interesting to me that I've been following through the pandemic and one is kind of these, these companies that at the IF, we have talked about them, we do a lot of work tracking global debt levels, and particularly in the U.S., the rise of, of zombie firms that essentially have their revenue is less than the cost of their debt currently, um, even at super historically low rates. So that you know, what happens when you start pulling away some liquidity in the market? Unfortunately, we haven't seen that quite yet in the pandemic uh, because government support has been so strong in the U.S. Um or at least was for most of this year. the other interesting point to that is the the kind of k shaped recovery that's been mentioned about in the media where you have <clears throat> businesses in in the leisure sector restaurants and bars and everything else like that that essentially these service based um businesses that haven't been able to do business at all, and on the other side, you have industry and all these other things that have been coming back and um you know, I think about it frequently as you know, from my perspective, my colleagues and a lot of the folks that we talk to, our our day-to-day jobs haven't been all that impacted beyond um working from home. So it's not we're living in kind of two separate economies um where restaurant workers and service workers primarily haven't been able to do their jobs over the last year. The long term repercussions are definitely something that's that will have to be addressed once we uh, get to the other side of this. I wanted to to kind of pivot a little bit and talk about some of your previous experience. So I've know you been at ABN Amro since 2017, but you initially started out your career as a banking lawyer, at Clifford Chance. Um, so why don't we maybe start there and, and kind of how how did your yeah. career start out and and what type of things were you doing at Clifford Chance? I know you were there for some time, so we can kind of walk through different roles or um, or projects that kind of helped lead you to this position.
1: To be honest, I actually started uh, as a trainee also at uh, at ABN Amro, and I also did a traineeship at Clifford Chance. So I was really thinking, am I going to be, start as a lawyer or a banker? And I decided to start as, as a lawyer because in the Netherlands, you need to do a training, maybe also in the U.S., uh, for three years to become uh, a lawyer, sort of to work on your own. Uh, and if you're a banker, then it's quite difficult to become a lawyer in that order. And the other way around So I'm actually the uh, example of it, is more likely. So I started as a, as a lawyer, decided to start as a lawyer in, in Amsterdam. Uh, uh, in the banking uh, department, as you mentioned. Um, and to be honest, I didn't actually know what that meant because to my mind, uh, being a lawyer was being a litigator. Uh, but I ended up in transaction practice, so really doing a leveraged finance deals, structured finance deals, and also restructuring deals in bad economic circumstances when the economy went down and every single loan had to be restructured again. So that's, I think, the benefit of working in the banking department has always worked. And uh, I did that for nearly, uh, well, more than nine years. And I worked in London as well, also uh, with Clifford Chance for nearly a year. Uh, I also did a secondment at Rabobank, Financial Restructuring and Recovery, and ING Investment Management. That's uh, really helpful because as a lawyer, you're really more uh, an advisor, obviously, and if you are... In the shoes of a client, you see things from a different perspective. And I think that really helps uh, me as a lawyer as well to to help my clients, but also see how things look from a different perspective. And that's always really helpful in everyone's career, I think, to uh, switch views and see a broader perspective.
0: It's interesting from the point on switching perspective, we talked to someone else from our class who started out their career as a consultant and I started out my career as a consultant and we had a similar kind of takeaway that it was a great place to start your career because you you get the perspective from the outside and then when you eventually make your transition into the industry, you are able to put the two perspectives together and see, uh, oh, I, I thought it was so obvious that my client should do this and then when I am the client, I realized, oh no, I was never going to do that despite it was recommended to me. Uh, because of these other internal factors that I wasn't um, aware of when I was on the outside, is that a similar experience for for lawyers too? It's totally possible that it's it's not. I suppose
1: I think it is. It is completely what you say. I really recognize it. And and even when I switched from give chance to uh, being a supervisor it was also a really different perspective because that is a, a new world. The difference between being a lawyer in a transaction banking environment and then becoming a supervisor in a more um, yeah, in a sort of a more broader perspective, financial uh, stability, different teams. Uh, well, also more power in a sense. Uh, that also really opened my eyes, to be honest, because you see such a broader uh, perspective, and the impact you have is also uh, much bigger. Because as a lawyer, you're only doing uh, things for your client, and, it, and the impact is relatively small. Although you think differently if you're a lawyer, you think you you're managing the world, but or not, uh, but really what really interested me in my transfer to the supervisor to the Dutch Central Bank, and also worked with the Single Resolution Board and the European Central Bank, is that you are really working from for uh, a social impact. Uh, it's really relevant uh, to make sure that you work on having uh, financial stability, uh, maintaining that, and and uh, putting your work towards that. So I really felt uh, fulfil. Uh that was what I also was looking for in that time of my life, uh, having two children at the time and also afterwards having a third one. It also was a, a way of living uh, because being a lawyer in a transaction practice is also working around the clock always. And being a supervisor was just more... Um, setting out the broader lines, managing agenda in a different way. So that also helped me on a personal level to really put things in perspective and also manage my personal life as well, which I think is also really, at least really important to me. And it gave me a really broader perspective and background, even when I made it, especially when I made the step to in AMRO, which is an actual bank and a supervisor is more or less a macro bank. Things are bigger, you, had, you and I was heading uh, the team who was supervising Rabobank, which is also a, a large bank. So you see uh, a bank from from the outside in and from different angles. And now, since I'm in a bank, I'm working more from the inside to the outside. So that's really a helpful experience for me to have.
0: You mentioned kind of looking for uh, a work-life balance when moving to the regular, because that, that was a point that I wanted to hit on for us having this conversation. You know, that was that was really interesting to me, moving from being a lawyer to being a regulator or working for the regulator at the Dutch Central Bank, um, which you're obviously at a chance for a little bit more than a decade and then and then moved over. So work life balance, I completely understand that point. I think during the pandemic, more than ever, um, we've heard from both my colleagues internally at the IIF and, and friends elsewhere about how hard it is to maintain that work life balance when all of a sudden your living room is your office essentially or your bedroom i have one friend whose desk is literally in his bedroom so he wakes up and then sits down at his desk and that's his entire day in one room So you kind of walk through uh you know how were you feeling leading up to that decision what kind of prompted the move to the regulator um and you know why the regulator over going to another banker or something like that i think it'd be really interesting to, to hear some more kind of background about that decision and what that was like
1: it was actually an Quite old step, to be honest. so uh, my colleagues at De Chance did not really understand why I was going to a regulator. But at that time, um, uh, we also had the the crisis, uh, the banking crisis in the Netherlands or worldwide. So uh, my my the partner I was working for, who was was working on uh, uh, sort of this really confidential case, which eventually uh, was uh, keeping banks alive, basically, and I. I really sensed that since he was working with supervisors, that interesting stuff was happening there. And I was really on a sort of turning point in my life um, around the clock uh, and really thinking, what am I actually, uh, what's my purpose? What am I actually doing? I'm really making clients who are really already quite um, rich, even richer. So, and I'm working day and night and making quite a bit of money, but not able to spend it. So, what's the purpose? And I really, uh, wanted to uh, to have more impact basically um and to manage my my work life balance in a way i would be happy to do so and I, i'm not judging anyone but that was really for me a step i thought I, I really want to make impact uh i want to also spend time with my children in a way i would like to spend it with and i, w- I w- want to sort of make a change in my life um so i, I started to uh, talk to the partner i worked for and and uh well, I think he was really uh, sad that I made the decision, but for me it was just enough. Eh? Uh, and I I just looked around and started to speak with uh, with people in my network, and also with Frank Elderson who is actually now uh, he's moving to the ECB, and he asked me to join uh, the Dutch Central Bank because at that time the Dutch Central Bank was really uh, trying to uh, tr- make a transformation from analysis to actually execution. Um, because that was really what was lacking at the time, that there was a lot of analysis going on, but no actual execution, so getting things done. And since I was a a lawyer in a transaction practice, I really know how to get things done, from analysis to to execution. And also what really um, uh, appealed to me was really that it was uh, was relevant, it had impact, financial stability, the crisis was going on. So... um, it felt like a sort of a, a candy store, uh, to say so. Hey, you have a very, lots and lots of interesting stuff to do behind those very thick walls. Uh, so I just just had a uh, sort of co- a coffee date uh, with, with, with uh, a DMV uh, colleague. And uh, he said, yeah, I really want someone with your skills in my, in, in, within DMV because we need to make a change and uh, we have good <laughs> work-life balance here. Oh, why don't you take the step so I did and uh, in the beginning it'd be a really big leap because the uh, yeah the way of working the culture it's so different um, I sort of slowed down in, in sort of my whole body and the way I worked and I thought it really has helped me a lot to be honest if I look back having that perspective from a supervisor is so especially in the work I'm doing in a bank you just get a complete oversight of every single topic which is relevant and even not only the, the regulator but also the monetary part the resolution part uh so it's it has really uh, broadened uh, uh, my view and and my skill set in in a very good way
0: it sounds like an opportunity that you definitely can't pass up and especially being able to achieve that work-life balance while still doing incredible uh, incredibly interesting and important, and especially in the middle of a crisis um, it's a fantastic opportunity the It kind of brings up this other point that I've been thinking about that I think most people on the outside of the industry or if you have your head down and you're not really focused um but the pandemic has made it pretty clear the 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 interesting relationship between regulators and and the industry or at least between regulators and their reliance on some of the industry's knowledge because. When it gets to that execution standpoint it's very difficult if you only have people who have only worked in government who have only worked as the regulator to really know how the execution works at the industry level is that kind of what your experience was was like coming into the central bank or is that was that not the case in the netherlands
1: yeah it was not even really my financial knowledge because i, uh, I was a lawyer but really the skill set you bring along huh? the getting things done and um uh, uh, analyzing uh, stuff and then moving towards execution. That's really a skill set you, I have actually learned as a as a professional lawyer. And even the step from the supervisor back to ABN Amro was also really relevant because uh, when I talked to my colleagues at at and they really were uh, really positive for uh, to have that this, this sort of transfer of knowledge within the sector, because you, you transfer people and, and uh, together with it, you transfer knowledge. And the way of looking at things, and, um, and yeah, perspectives from the other side. So I think it was really, uh, really positive about that transfer from both sides, even from ABN AMRO, but also DNB. That people are moving within the sector and also making sure that the knowledge viewpoints and how we work together, it's it's also uh, uh, shared across the sector. That's that's really relevant, and and, and I've seen a lot of people. And now also making those switches, also from a lawyer to a to a supervisor and even to a bank. So my step, my my decision not to go from a uh, a lawyer to a normal sort of legal department in a bank uh, was really that I wanted something different. Because otherwise I would be doing the same stuff from the other end. And now it was completely different. That's also who I am. I really like to go out of my comfort zone and explore new uh, new things. So it really. Uh, suited me well.
0: The way that you put out the transfer of knowledge, that's one big thing that we focus on with this future leaders group, right? Is It's bringing you and I together and then 40 or so other people from around the world who all have different experiences and different backgrounds and different jobs currently to talk about kind of key issues going on in the industry. And, and you get that transfer of knowledge um, across our group, at least hopefully, and then hopefully we're able to share that with our audience through the podcast as well. I know we are probably running a little bit short on time, but I wanted to move to basically where you are now. You've obviously been at ABN Amarok since 2017. If you want to touch on that and talk about what the focus is for the next year as well.
1: I've been here sort of three years and I switched in the summer to the new role. And the main goal is now really to get the team even, sort of enlarge the team more. And we are already operational. Uh, but I think for us, it's really important to also um, uh, deliver on our mandates uh, and our strategy and, and within the bank, take a bigger role. And that's also what my ambition with, ambition with the team would be to really have end responsibility in the things we do and be able to deliver on what we have promised. So um, and we're not there yet since we've recently started and we're also in the phase of building the team and that's also something uh, which we do in a really diligent way because I think now we have the opportunity also to attract different talent, different people, Uh, also a mixture of uh, women, uh, male, uh, well I'm working with economic uh, colleagues with an economic background so I think the diversity within uh, banks and fresh blood I think it's also really important to, to have an eye for how you build a team, it's a really high performing team that's also something I really um uh, I will try to uh, deliver on uh, even more in 2021 and I think also the COVID will not uh, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic will not uh, 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 yeah, it hasn't left yet so I think that also will keep us busy for quite a bit of time um and we're also in a lot of discussions with our uh, yeah, stakeholders, and um, especially also with supervisors. I think it's really a, a really interesting time And in my career. Having been in crisis, this is a time that things start moving and things start changing. Uh, and transformation is also something I'm really, uh, yeah, I really like to do in in my work to stay to challenge the status quo. And also, we as a bank we've just uh, refreshed our strategy. Um, bank in a digital age so that means that as a bank we will also be in, in transformation and i'm really looking forward to uh to play in that and, and fulfill a role in that uh, bank by transformation uh, where i can um so that's also quite exciting to really reshape the bank in a way that it's really fit the future of banking
0: one thing on the future of banking too because i know as part of our future leader program we were going to come to amsterdam uh, and hopefully be at ABN AMRO and speak to your colleagues, um, particularly about sustainable finance. I know that um, your your bank and as well as a lot of your colleagues in Europe have been leaders in sustainable finance. And you mentioned Frank Elderson earlier, who obviously also leads the NGFS, the network for greening the financial system. Um, and it feels like this year, from my perspective, one of the things we've been thinking about is with the Biden administration coming in in the U.S., this is just an extra boost to sustainable finance. Um, globally where obviously Europe has been working on it for years but the US has been lagging behind and now with the US coming along hopefully that means everything else moves along pretty quickly as well Um, but I don't know if you had any thoughts on that or or generally how important sustainable finance is for the future strategy of the bank as well.
1: It's actually a big part of our strategy so sustainability is at the core of our strategy and it it will remain there and it has been there for at least three years so uh, yes, for ABN Emro it's it's a really big part of uh, what we focus on in our strategy um, and and more on a sort of a, a sector level, a financial sector level, we have been uh, now reviewing the sustainable finance regulations, which have will come into play quite shortly, so we're also uh, trying to make sure that we implement that as good as we can as a bank. Um, uh, so I think that's also helped in our strategy and and for our for our clients, uh, we really try to be the sustainability advisor as much as we have a green bank, which does sustainable lending as well. So uh, for, for our Emeril, uh, sustainability is really at the core of our strategy. Um, so I'm really uh, happy that uh, that we are and that we as, as, as a bank are leading on that. Will remain uh, be focused on, on sustainability. Hopefully, we can uh, work together there. Dylan, if if the U.S. is also not trying to make sure that we focus there as well, you focus there as well uh, on sustainability uh, financing.
0: Absolutely. It's something that IF has been focused on, obviously, because our, our members like you have been focused on it for so long. But it's interesting sitting in Washington and seeing a number of my other colleagues who work in the financial services industry or for other trade associations or other banks suddenly realizing, that, oh, we, we need to get up to speed on this pretty quickly. I see you guys have three years worth of work. What should I read first? is pretty interesting. And I think it's a good signal for the next year that there's going to be a lot of momentum. And the Biden administration seemingly is very, very committed to making climate and sustainability a bigger part of the U.S. agenda going forward. So there's lots of opportunity and um, lots of exciting work that I'm sure will be going on there as the U.S. now tries to merge into this already kind of developed European sustainability model or more global sustainability model. It'll definitely be interesting and no shortage of work to be done on the topic for sure. Was there anything else that we missed that you'd want to highlight for our audience?
1: Maybe uh, something I advise, if you look at my background, I think it's always helpful to switch perspective. That's what I want to really uh, give as a sort of tip. If you are, uh, everyone's career, I think it's not a ladder. It's always a sort of jungle gym. If you switch jobs and eventually you either, and also sometimes make a promotion, but also see a broader perspective. And that's really helpful, I think. For us as leaders in, in finance, but also for society, I think it's important that we train good leaders who are really broad in their skill sets and, and their views and diverse in every sense of, of the word.
0: That's a great place to, to leave it for now. I like the idea that your career is a jungle gym, not necessarily a ladder, and that's probably how you accumulate the most most interesting and most useful knowledge anyway, rather than more of a linear straight line. So that's, that's good advice for everyone listening at home. But that's all the time that we have today, RT. and I'm so glad that you're able to join us. Thank you once again.
1: And thank you for having me, it was a great pleasure.